Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, and uh, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings called Peculiar People. We've been learning about uh, how God desires to have a people that is holy and uh, separated and peculiar, a peculiar treasure, he calls them. And uh, if we've been talking about how God wants us to be different from the world. We spent a few weeks just learning about uh, separation and the doctrine of separation, the theology of separation. Last week, we started uh, applying it more specifically. I preached on the subject of peculiar in our clothing and how the Bible talks a lot about how God desires for Christians to appear. We talked about some guidelines for your appearance. And this morning, I want to uh, speak on the subject of peculiar in our relationships. Not only does God uh, desire for us to be separate or sanctified or holy uh, in, in our clothing like we learned last week, and we'll learn a lot of different areas as the weeks go on, but today we're going to focus on this idea of our relationships. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we have a verse that is often probably the quintessential verse in regards to separation, but I want you to notice the context is about human relationship. If you look at verse number 14 there, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the Bible says this, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Again, talking about uh, our relationships, being yoked together with unbelievers. He says this, and I want you to notice, and I'm going to give you uh, kind of a little bit of a, a breakdown of this passage just as an introduction this morning, and then we're going to get into um, some specific areas in regards to our relationship. But the first thing we see in this passage, and if you'd like to write this down, or if you'd like to take notes of this, uh, you can do that on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for notes. But I want you to notice that we see the characteristics of human relationship. It's interesting because in this passage, he goes through, and he's talking about separation, but he really gives us the characteristics of human relationship, what it means to have a relationship with other human beings. Notice what he says there in verse 14. He says, for what fellowship? I want you to notice that word fellowship. He says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? The word fellowship means a friendly relationship or companionship. He says, look, if you, you should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because when you are unequally yoked together with unbelievers, you're going to experience fellowship with an unbeliever that is uh, uh, unequal to you. They're not your equal. You're going to have a friendly relationship or companionship with that individual. Then he says this, and what communion hath light with darkness. The word communion means the act of sharing or holding something in common. And here's what he's saying. He's saying when you have relationships, when you seek to establish human relationships, you should realize that those human relationships will be characterized by not only fellowship, uh, the act of friendly relationship or companionship, but they'll also be characterized by the act of sharing or holding something in common. And what he's teaching us is this. He's teaching us that when you develop relationships with other human beings, you should have uh, uh, something in common with them. You should be able to share something in common with them because of the fact that you're going to have companionship with them. See, in order to have companionship, you must have something in common. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, and what concord? That word concord means agreement between persons, groups, or nations. It means concurrence in attitudes or feelings. He says, look, in, in human relationship, there's going to be a concord, an agreement. He says, or what part? The word part there is referring to a portion or division of a whole. Uh, it means to participate. He says you will participate in things with these individuals. Uh, he says, or what part? I believe with an, with an infidel. Notice verse 16. He says, and what agreement 
hath the temple of God with idols. So again, we see this idea of concord. He says the, uh, an agreement is a state of being in accord. And here's what he's saying. When you have human relationships, when we as human beings have relationships with each other, he says we're going to have fellowship, we're going to have companionship. He says we're going to be in communion, we're going to have things in common. He says we're going to be in concord, we're going to agree with each other and have things in agreement. And doesn't the Bible say this, how can two walk together except they be agreed? He says, look, when you have relationship, this is the characteristics of a relationship. The characteristics of a relationship is that you have something in agreement with the purpose, uh, with the person. You have something in agreement with the purpose, uh, good night, with the person that you are uh, relating to or having a relationship with. You are partaking in fellowship. You are participating with them. Now, in this passage here, we see the characteristics of human relationship, but I want you to notice we also see a caution for improper relationships, because notice what he says in verse 14. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He says, for what fellowship? But then notice, he gives us these, these two opposites, and he's saying, these two things cannot fellowship with each other. He says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? He's saying, look, something that is righteous cannot be in a friendly relationship or companionship with something that is unrighteous. He says, and what communion has light with darkness? Here's what he's saying. He's saying light and darkness cannot have something in common. They cannot share uh, uh, something together. He says they are opposites of each other. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Now, if you remember, Belial is Satan, Beelzebub. He's called uh, in other places in Scripture. In the Old Testament, he's called Baal. And here's what he's saying. Christ and Satan are not in concord. They are not in agreement. There is nothing that they have uh, concurrent with each other. He says, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And again, the idea is that a believer and someone who does not believe, a believer and someone who is not faithful, an infidel, someone who has faith versus someone who does not have faith cannot participate or have part with each other. Verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And here's what he's saying. He's saying that there are characteristics of relationships. There's fellowship, communion, uh, concord, participation. He's saying there's agreement, but there's a caution because there are some things that should not fellowship with each other. There are some things that do not agree with each other. There are some things that do not have things in common. And I want you to understand that, and I wanted to kind of break that down, because that is the context that leads us into verse 17. We see the characteristics of human relationship, and we see uh, uh, the caution of improper relationship. And in verse 17, we see the command for separation in our relationships. And again, verse 17 is the quintessential, probably, uh, verse about separation in Scripture, but I want you to notice that the context is in our relationships. He says, because of the fact that these things cannot agree, these things do not have things uh, anything in common, they cannot participate together, they cannot have friendly relationships, he says in verse 17, he says, wherefore, the word wherefore means for that reason, or for this reason. He says, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, the context of this verse 
when he says that we are to come out from among them, and I believe this verse can be used about separation in general. There's nothing wrong with that. But the context of this verse where he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, he is referring to human relationships. He's talking about uh, uh, being able to practice separation in our human relationships. So what I'd like to do this morning, I want to give you three areas to consider in regards to being peculiar in our relationships. Now, the first one is this. And you're there in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to notice verse 14 again. And this is what we usually think of when we talk about uh, uh, this verse, when it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And I'd, uh, the first area I'd like you to notice, and when we talk about not being unequally yoked together, is this, the area of marriage. We should not be yoked together with unbelievers in marriage. Now, the, the illustration that he's using here, when he talks about being yoked together, a yoke would be a uh, tool that would be used to put two uh, animals together in order to be able to work them together, in order for them to be able to labor together. That's the illustration that's being used here. And he says that we ought not yoke ourselves up unequally with unbelievers. But I want to specifically talk to you this morning, and one of the areas is that uh, in regards to marriage. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers in marriage, because the Bible says there, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, you're there in First Corinthians, excuse me, you're there in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Go with me to First Corinthians chapter 16, and let's look at this idea uh, of marriage. First of all, just let, me, just let me say this, and it's not difficult to understand, and let me just give some advice to those of you that are not married. If you're not married, and you're looking to one day be married, or you're praying that one day you'll be able to find that one, realize this, that God desires for you to marry a believer, all right? It is wrong for a Christian to marry someone that is not a Christian. And if you say, well, I don't know what the big deal is, then just go find some believer who's married to an unbeliever and ask him about it. Because there's a lot of issues in marriage with that. There's a lot of problems with marriage. See, when it's just you and when you're just dating and when it's no big deal, it's no big deal. But as soon as you start growing up a little bit, as soon as you start trying to live for God a little bit, or as soon as you start having children and you got to decide how you're going to raise those kids and where you're going to raise those kids and how you're going to raise those kids, all of a sudden these things matter. And this is why all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and through the New Testament, the Bible often is teaching and telling that believers ought to marry believers. And look, the best thing that you could do as a single person here this morning, if you're not married and you're looking to one day be married, is just set it in your mind that you will not marry someone who's not saved. Look, you will save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headaches if you would just decide right now that you will only marry a believer, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers in marriage. Look, is there any more relationship that is more of a yoke with another person than marriage? And you know what? Let me say this. If you're not supposed to marry an unbeliever, you'd be wise to not date an unbeliever. Look, the purpose of dating is marriage. The reason to you date is that you can find the person that you're going to marry. If you are not going to marry someone who's not saved, hey, let me help you out. Don't date someone who's not saved. Don't even start that relationship. 
Don't even go down that road. Just decide you're only going to marry someone that is a believer, someone that is saved, someone who has the same uh, belief system and faith and is someone that is on their way to heaven. I believe that for single people, not only does the Bible, the Bible teaches that you should not marry an unbeliever, but you should take it uh, a step further, and it would be wise for you to take it a step further uh, to not even date an unbeliever, not even start that romantic relationship with an unbeliever. But let me, let me give you another thought. And look, and I realize, look, I'm a pastor, and my job is to try to help people, and I deal with a lot of issues, and I deal with a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of this. Let me say this. Not all Christians are created equal. And when it comes to marriage, not only, and I'm talking to the singles right now, not only should you not marry an unbeliever, but the Bible says there, be not unequally yoked together. You should marry your equal. One of the biggest issues that I deal with as a pastor and one of the biggest issues that my wife deals with as a pastor's wife is these uh, problems that arise in relationships where you've got a husband who's saved, you've got a wife who is saved. They're both believers, but one wants to walk with God and serve God and love God and the other one doesn't. One wants to go soul winning and the other one doesn't. One wants to tithe, and the other one doesn't. One wants to go to Sunday night church, and the other one doesn't. One wants to read nine chapters a day, and the other one doesn't. And it creates, the, it creates one wants to go to an independent, fundamental Baptist, uh, uh, King James Bible preaching church, and the other one wants to go to some liberal rock band, you know, casino style looking and feeling church. And they both have a testimony of salvation. You say, what's the problem? They married someone that was a believer. But you know what? You should take it a step further and marry someone that's your equal. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I'm a single and I'm a soul winner. Then don't marry someone who's not a soul winner. I'm a single and I'm three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Then don't marry someone who's not a three to thrive Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm a single, and I read my Bible every day, and I pray every day, and I walk with God. Hey, then don't marry someone who doesn't. You say, but they're saved. Yeah, but you know what? If they're saved and worldly, you're going to have a lot of heartaches. You're going to have a lot of headaches. Look, I'm just trying to help you out. You'd be wise. You'd be wise to practice a little separation You'd be wise to practice a little separation before you're married so you don't end up getting separated once you're married. You'd be wise to live your life in a peculiar way in order to make sure that you are happy. See, and the, the, what God desires for you and what God desires for, for everyone is that when you get married, that husband and wife serve the Lord together. There's a beautiful example of this in Scripture. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 16? Look at verse number 19. 1 Corinthians 16 and 19 it says this, The churches of Asia salute you. These are some of my favorite uh, characters in Scripture. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 19, The churches of Asia salute you. Notice what he says. Aquila and Priscilla. This is husband and wife. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Here you have Aquila and Priscilla, and we see their names throughout the New Testament. We see it several times. And here we have a husband and wife, and look, they're both on board. They're both excited. They're, they're saluting the believers much in the Lord. Go to Romans chapter 16. Just go backwards one book. Romans chapter 16. 
Romans chapter 16. Look, there's something great about finding someone and marrying someone who's on the same page that you are. There's something awesome about finding someone who's on the same page that, that, uh, and doing the same things and on the same track as you are. Because if they were already serving God before you got there, then you can both serve God together. But this idea that I'm going to go marry so-and-so and I'm going to get her saved or I'm going to get him saved and I'm going to disciple him and I'm going to help them grow. No, you're not. You're not likely to. And let me just let you in on a little secret. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But once you're dating someone, you can't trust anything they say or do. You will not know that individual. Look, if you don't know that individual, what their character was before you started dating them, forget about anything they tell you. Look, they're going to lie. They're going to tell you, oh, once I get married, I'm going to lose weight. Once I get married, I'm going to get a job. I know I'm a loser right now. I know I can't get up before uh, 11 a.m. now. I know I've been unemployed for three and a half years now. But baby, once I get married, then I'm going to lose weight. Then I'm going to get a job. Then I'm No, they're not. They're lying to you. If they were lazy before, they'll be, once they get married, once those I do's are said, they'll be lazy. I, I'm trying to help you out. I know you, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to try to help you. If they were bad with their finances before you got married, they'll be bad with their finances after you got married. Just understand that. If they had a character issue before you got married, don't have that character issue. Look, salvation doesn't change your character. It changes your destination. It doesn't change who you are. The Word of God can change who you are. If they had a character issue, if they had a drug problem, if they had a drinking problem, if they had an employment problem, if they had a fornication problem, look, all of those things, if they had that before, they'll have it still. And look, go down that road if you want to, but don't say pastor didn't warn you. Say, Pastor Mendes, how about your kids? We're not letting our kids date somebody who's not a soul winner. If my kids are soul winners, they better date a soul winner. If my kids read their Bible every day, they better date somebody who reads their Bible every day. Not only should you not marry an unbeliever, you should marry someone who's your spiritual equal. Aquila and Priscilla got to serve God together. You notice there in Romans 16.3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Both of these uh, individuals were sold out. Both of them were excited about serving God. Go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. This is the most frustrating part about, about this ministry. What I've noticed is that couples, look, when couples get together, if they're not on the same, if they're on the same page, they will be on the same page for the rest of their lives. Whatever that page is. If they get backslidden, they'll both get backslidden. When they get right with God, they'll both get right with God. This is just, I can't prove this to you from Scripture. This is totally anecdotal. But this is what I've learned over the last eight plus years of ministry. Whatever page couples get on, that's the page they'll stay on. Here's what's interesting. I've literally seen seen this multiple times. My wife has seen this multiple times. You got a husband who wants to do right or a, a man who wants to do right marries a girl who doesn't want to do right. They get married or vice versa, a woman who wants to do right and a man who doesn't. They get together on the, on the opposite page. And you know what? They stay there. You know what happens? Sometimes the guy that wants to do right gets backslidden and the girl that, wants to, that was wanting to do wrong gets right with God. And, and, but now they start fighting because now they're wanting to do the opposites. I mean, sometimes I'm looking at people, I'm like, can you two just get on the same page? 
Before he wanted, he didn't want anything to do with church, and you wanted. Now that he wants to come to church, now you don't want to. What's wrong with you two? Here's what's wrong with you two. You got together on the wrong page, and you're just going to stay on the wrong page. It's, it's funny to me because I think to myself, man, are you doing this on purpose? Now that your wife is coming to church, now you want to start quitting church? Now that your husband has got saved and got baptized and now he's starting to show up to church, now all of a sudden you want to not quit church? And I, I used to think people were messing with us. I just realized this, that when you get together whatever page you're on, that's the page you'll stay on. And, and they'll flop and they'll, just ne- they'll never be on the same page. You know what? Just marry someone who's on the same page. Marry someone who's in the same direction as you are. Marry someone who's doing what you're doing. Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in, at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when, notice, Aquila and Priscilla. These two are just, I, I love the fact that it's just Aquila and Priscilla. In Acts, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, these two are just on board. They love God. They're serving together, Aquila and Priscilla had heard that uh, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. I'm thankful, you know, in my life I can say, I'm thankful for a wife who I can serve the Lord with side by side. But you know what? I I didn't get her to start going soul winning. I I didn't get her to start reading the Bible. I didn't get her to start praying. I didn't get, and and today even, even in our churches, this wrong philosophy is taught to young men and they're being set up for failure. Listen to me, you're being set up for failure. When someone tells you, well, in the Christian home, you're supposed to be the leader anyway, so go find some worldly girl and you're supposed to lead her anyway, so just lead her right. No, you won't. Let me tell you something. Successful leadership has more to do with the follower than the leader. The men in this room that are leading their houses well are leading their houses well because they have a godly wife who's submitting. And you better just figure it out. Well, I'm going to go just date some worldly girl, some unsaved girl who doesn't care about God, who doesn't care about the things of God, but I'm supposed to be the leader and I'm just going to force her. Good luck with that. Pastor Jimenez, you're, you're, a great, you're this great leader. Your wife just loves the Lord. She's a soul winner. She serves God. She loves God. She sacrifices for God. How did you do it? Here's how I did it. I found a girl who was serving God before I met her. Or I shouldn't say before I met her. I got my wife saved. But I was serving God before I dated her. That's what I should say. Was soul winning before I dated her. That's what I should say. Was reading the Bible before I dated her. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Marry your equal. Marry a believer. Now, let me just, with all that said, let me give some advice for those of you who are already married to an unbeliever. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look, everything they tell you, oh, you marry me and I'm going to buy this house for you. No, they're not. I'm going to cook you. All these, I'm going to cook you all these meals. I know my house is a mess right now, but I'm not. once I'm married to you, no, it'll still be a mess. It'll still be, look, people will say anything and do anything. Make sure you marry your equal. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother have a wife that believeth not. Now let me just say this, okay, with all that. Because some of you are thinking, oh, well, I'm married to an unbeliever, so am I supposed to go and divorce her? No, you know what the Bible teaches? That you are not to divorce or leave your spouse simply because they are an unbeliever. 
If you marry someone who wasn't saved, you say, I made the wrong choice. Maybe you did, but that's the choice you made. You stick with it. Notice what it says. But to rest, uh, speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not. Notice. And she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Look, he says, look, don't put her away. Verse 13. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. He's saying, look, God says, don't, don't just separate with someone. Here's what he's saying. If, if you two got married, because this is something we see often. You two got married when you were both not saved, and then one of you got saved. He says, look, it's fine. Don't leave her. Don't separate her. Don't leave him. Don't separate him. And if you got married when you were already saved and they weren't saved, you made that choice. Stick with it. Stay with it. God does not want you to get a divorce. So here, I'm not, everything I've said does not apply to, you know, I'm already married to someone who's not my equal or not. Look, you made your choice. Marriage is till death do us part. You pray for your spouse. You try to help your spouse. You say, why should I not leave my unbelieving spouse? Here's why. Because you are the best person to get that individual saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16 says this, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 3, 1, the Bible says this, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation. That's the lifestyle of the wives. The Bible does not teach that you are to separate because you married an unbeliever. You know what? You stay with it. Why? Because marriage is uh, for life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. You're there. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 7, 39 says this. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Notice this last phrase. Only in the Lord. The caveat is always this, because here's what he's saying. He's saying, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives. As long as your spouse is alive, you're married. Marriage is till death do us part. Now, we're not Mormons, okay? Once you die, that's it. You're not going to be married in heaven. But while you're alive, you're both married. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married whom she will. If her husband dies or if uh, his wife dies, then they're free to get married. But notice the caveat is only in the Lord. It's still the idea, don't marry an unbeliever. God says you can marry whoever you want as long as they're saved, as long as they're in the Lord. Go to Romans chapter 7. You're there in 1 Corinthians? Go back to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 2. Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. The Bible teaches clearly that marriage is till death do us part. That's why we, in those traditional vows, we make, we, we, you make that vow. Till death do us part. Why? Because it is a lifetime commitment. And by the way, because it is a lifetime commitment, you may want to be wise about who you marry. So we're learning about not being unequally yoked together in in relationships. And the first one is with unbelievers in marriage. Do not be, look, if you are uh, single here this morning, just decide in your mind, I will not marry and I won't even date an unbeliever. And if you do marry a believer, make sure that you're spiritual equal. Make sure you're on the same page. Make sure you're doing the same things. Number two, go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. If you start at the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10. Not only should you not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers in marriage, but secondly, you should not be unequally yoked together 
with unbelievers in your extended family. Now, this is where I'm going to start stepping on, 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 on toes. Because people don't care if I preach against their spouse, but for some reason they care if I preach against their mom or their grandma or aunt, whoever, or cousin so-and-so. But you know that Jesus taught that your faith may put you at odds with your family? Some of you have already experienced. Some of you are living this. But notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, 34 says this. This is what Jesus said. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these words will be in red. Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And this is the, the example he gives. He says, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Notice verse 36. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus taught that your faith, when you got saved and when you began to walk with God and, and serve the Lord, that your faith may put you at odds with your family. In fact, your foes may be those of your own household. And you may have family that you don't see eye to eye on because of spiritual things. And you say, well, well, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, notice what he says in verse 37, because not only did he teach that your faith may put you at odds with your family, but Jesus taught that you're going to have to choose and you may have to make a decision between God and your family. And again, we're not talking about your spouse because we just learned about the fact that you don't divorce your spouse for any reason ever, period. Till death do us part. So we're talking about extended family here. Family you're not married to. Let me help some of you out. You're not married to your mom. You're not married to your grandma. In fact, the Bible says when you get married that you are to leave father and mother and cleave unto your spouse. That's, that's scriptural. Even if your mom's godly, leave father and mother. It's not, let's get back on the marriage subject for a second. It's not good to have a marriage where the in-laws, where the mom and dad on either side are overly involved in marriage. You leave father and mother and you cleave unto your spouse. And some of you would do well to not involve your family into your marriage issues, all right? That's who you married. You work those issues out. You don't, look, don't try to turn your mom against your spouse, or your dad against your spouse. And, and look, let me, give some, let me give some advice. Don't get involved in marriage disputes. You know what I've learned as a pastor? When, when people are having issues in marriage, you know I never take a side. I, this is what I tell people. I tell them, I'm for both of you. I'm against both of you. Whatever you however you want to see it, that's where I'm at. If you want to look at it as I'm for both of you, great. If you want to see it as I'm against both of you, great. If you want to see it as I'm for you sometimes and against you sometimes, great. But just realize this, that whatever I am, I'm for both of you. You know why? Because here's what happened when little husband and wife get in little fights together. Then they go in and make up. Guess who's the enemy? So you know what? I just, I just maintained enemy status the whole time. I'm here to piss all of you off. I'm here to tell you what you're all doing wrong. I'm here to just tell you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this as a husband. You shouldn't be doing this as a wrong. I don't care if you don't like me. You're probably not going to like me anyway. You know, I love you both, and I'm telling you the truth, you know. But look, don't get involved in other people's marriages. Don't meddle with strife not belonging to you. Because as soon as they make up, you know who's going to be the enemy? You, mom. You, dad. Or you, brother-in-law or sister-in-law or whatever. 
But you know, the Bible teaches, and Jesus taught that you may need to choose between God and your family. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. He that loveth father or mother, notice what he says. He that loveth father or mother, this is Jesus speaking, more than me. Notice what he says. It's not worthy of me. Look, he just got done saying that I, I came to put a man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be of, uh, they of his own uh, household. That's verse 36. Verse 37, this is the context. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Now, your cross and life. Now, hopefully it's not the case. Hopefully... You can get your family saved, and hopefully your family is saved, and hopefully you guys can all serve God together. And I thank the Lord that for, for my family, uh, you know, uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents and my siblings all attend this very church, and I'm thankful that I can have that family and, and be able to serve the Lord together. But honestly, that's not the case for all of you. In fact, that's not the case for many of you. I, I am reaping the benefits of being a second and even a third generation Christian on my, my, on my mom's side. My grandparents were the ones that got saved. My grandfather actually served as a pastor for a while in Venezuela. And they raised my mom as a Christian, and she raised me as a Christian. And my dad is a first generation Christian. He got saved. And then he raises. I'm reaping the benefits of being a second or third generation Christian that I don't have to have all this fighting with family members because I, got, I, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. But you know, those of you that are first-generation Christians, my wife is a first-generation Christian. When I met her, she was an atheist, and she got saved, and we were just friends. She got saved, and she started coming to church and being faithful to church and soul winning and reading her Bible, all of that while we were just friends, and we did not start dating till way after she'd already been serving the Lord and she wasn't doing any of that for me. But, you know, she is a first-generation Christian. And in, on her side of the family, there's been some stands that we've had to take. There's been some people we've had to cut out. There's been, and and, and those are, that comes with the territory when you're a first-generation Christian or you're the, the, the first one in your family to get saved or to uh, serve the Lord. And this is what Jesus said. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And look, you ought to fight the battle so your kids don't have to. You ought to take the stand so your grandkids don't have to. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus taught that your faith may put you at odds with your family. And you say, Pastor, I'm dealing with that, and I'm struggling with that, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And look, I'm not, I'm not minimizing it. It is hard and difficult. But let me say this. You take the stand so your kids don't have to. You, take, you fight the battle so your kids don't have to. You fight the battle of, no, I'm not showing up to some family gathering where just booze is flowing and everyone's drunk. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to live a peculiar life. Hey, you fight that battle so your kids can grow up in an environment where they never even have to look at it. You fight the battle of fighting and, and, and having your family say, ah, oh, you're in a cult. Why? Because I don't want to be around your pornography. Because I don't want to be around your drug use. Because I don't want to be around your drunkenness. Hey, you fight that battle so the next generation can just live in peace and prosper. You decide that I love Jesus more than anyone and anything and everything in this world. 
And look, you say, yeah, but, you know, what about my family? And look, look, the, be- the best thing is to just be tactful and friendly. Hopefully your family just understands your position and respects it. But the, the problem is that a lot of family members are hostile towards the things of God. It's not enough for them. And look, please understand this. I think you ought to be tactful when taking stands. You, see, a lot of times the problems that we have is that Christians themselves are kind of stupid as to how to deal with situations. You know, we've had situations on my wife's side of the family where we were invited to a wedding or whatever, and there's going to be alcohol and a DJ and this or whatever. I say, Pastor, what'd you do? We went to the wedding. You know, the wedding was just at some church. It was just a normal, traditional wedding. We, we dropped off a gift, and we said, you know, we uh, gave our hugs, and we said, here's your gift, and congratulations, God bless you. Hey, listen, we got to get going, but uh, we're happy for you. God bless you. And we got in a car and left. Here's what we didn't do. We didn't walk in. What wickedness is this? That's not what we did. We, we didn't write some note about how we can't go to your uh, uh, reception because of the way. We didn't, why would you do that to unbelievers? They don't understand that. They don't get that. Look, unbelievers, all you need to talk to them about is salvation, period. All your stands and all your, they don't understand. They don't need to know all that. And some, some people think like, oh, my family hates me for my, for my stand for Christ. No, sometimes your family hates you because you're an idiot. You don't, they don't need to know all your little, you know. And by the way, sometimes other Christians hate you because you're an idiot. You know, when uh, we take a stand in our home against Disney and we don't watch Disney movies and we don't go to Disneyland. I live in California my entire life. I've never been to Disneyland. But you know when someone gives our kids something with Disney on it, we just, amen, thank you. We don't need to tell everybody. You know, when someone gives me something, some card with an NIV verse, I don't rip it up and say, this is wicked. Find me a King James one. Say, Pastor, do you read the NIV? No, I don't. Do you give out cards with NIV verses? No, I don't. Do you throw away gifts people give you with NIV verses? No, I don't. Some people are growing. They don't know. Some people don't, they don't know. They've never heard that. They've never thought about that. They don't, you don't have to be a jerk about your stands. This is why the Bible says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. See, the problem is a lot of people grow in knowledge. I know everything that's wrong about everything. But you haven't grown in grace. You haven't learned to be graceful. You know, the Bible says that what God requires of us is to do justly. The Bible says that God requires of us to do justly. That means we do right. But then he says this, to love mercy. That we ought to be graceful with people. We ought to be merciful with people. We ought to be patient with people. We ought to understand that not everybody's on the same page as we are. Not everybody knows what we know. Not everybody even believes what we believe. Maybe they know it and they just don't believe it. They don't think, look, it's fine. It's fine. You don't have to be a jerk to people. And honestly, it's pride. It's pride that motivates this idea that I got to tell everybody why they're wrong about everything. Why? why? Who made you the, pol- the spiritual police? Well, you got to correct everyone and tell everybody why they're wrong. Why does it matter? It matters because of your pride. That's why it matters. Anyway, I don't know why we got off on that, but look at Matthew 12, 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but Jesus, Jesus, um, his, his, his brothers weren't even saved. They got saved after his resurrection. At this point, they were, they're not even saved. They're not even believers. 
says his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said to him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples. Because look, he's having church. He's preaching. And his mom and his brothers, they stood without. They're not even, they won't even come in the building. But they're interrupting the service. They're desiring to speak with him. And his disciples, they said, hey, your family wants to see you. And he says, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. You know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, sometimes you may have to just replace your physical family with a spiritual family. Sometimes you may just have to tell your, your unsaved family. You know, and I'm talking about people that are hostile towards you. Again, you know, with the gifts, if people are just giving you a gift and they're not, hot, they're not trying to, like, throw something in your face, you know, don't, you don't have to be hostile towards them. Now, look, if they're, if they're trying to, like, influence your kids in a wrong way, then, yeah, defend your kids. You understand what I'm saying? Someone's just giving you a gift. They're just giving. They're not, they don't know anything about what you believe. Look, it's great. Praise the Lord that someone loves you enough to give you a gift. Praise the Lord that someone cares enough about you to, to think about you. But you may have to, here's what Jesus is saying, you may have to replace your physical family with a spiritual family. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. Look at verse 24. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. The Bible says this, A man that hath friends will show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Sometimes those spiritual friends, that spiritual family, they'll stick closer than your physical family. So we're talking about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And uh, one area is with unbelievers in marriage. Another area is with unbelievers in your extended family. Let me give you the third area and we'll be done. You're there in Proverbs chapter 18. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. The third area is this. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, with unbelieving friends. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelieving friends. Now, again, please understand. I'm not saying that we should not be, we, you, you should not develop friendships and deep relationships with unbelievers. I'm not saying you should not be friendly, okay? You ought to be friendly with your neighbors. You ought to be friendly with your coworkers. You ought to be friendly with, with unsaved you know, people in your life. You ought to be friendly. But your deep friendships and relationships ought not be with unbelievers, you say, why is that? Here's why it is. Because you will be like your friends. You will be like your friends. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I like the quote that's in the bulletin. It says, be around the people you want to be like because you will be like the people you are around. That's a scriptural principle. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. You want to be wise? Walk with wise men. You want to be a fool? Walk with fools. That's what the Bible's teaching here. Notice, and you're there in Proverbs 13. Go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, and look at verse 24. Proverbs 22 and verse 24. Proverbs 22 and verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. Make no friendship with an angry man. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. 
Why does God not want you to make friendships with angry people? Verse 25, lest thou learn his ways. And get a snare today. So, see, when you are friends with bitter people, you know what you'll become? Bitter. When you're friends with angry people, you know what you'll become? Angry. When you're friends with, uh, with, with liars, you'll become a liar. When you're friends with crooks, you'll become a crook. And when you're friends with wise men, you'll become wise. When you're friends with soul winners, you know what you'll become? A soul winner. People, you know, I, I travel around the country in different places preaching, whatever, and people often ask and say, man, you're, you, you guys have 80 to 90 soul winners at your church. How, how do you do that? You know, the average old IFB church, I mean, they, they, can, they got 100 people. They can't get 10 people to show up for soul winning. How do you guys do that? And, you know, one, honestly, one reason that we have that, it's not because of my awesome preaching. One reason is because, you know what? When you start hanging around soul winners, you know what you, you want to start doing is go soul winning. You start hanging around people, you say, Pastor, why do you do this nine chapters a day challenge every January? Because this is what I've learned. If we can get you reading the Bible and you start hanging out with people that read the Bible, you start reading the Bible. You'll start, look, you will start becoming like your friend. You will be like your friends. I remember I was reading uh, 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 in a book one time, they'd done a, they'd done a study. It's a financial book. They've done a study and they said this, that if you take the income, the annual income of your three closest friends, you add them up together and you divide it by three, it will be your income. Isn't that interesting? You say, why is that? Because birds of a feather flock together. Because you will be like your friends. Because you will be like the people you hang out with. This is why the Bible says, Proverbs 27 and verse 17, by the way, some of you are broke because you're hanging out with a bunch of broke people. You're in debt because all your friends are in debt. Your marriage is falling apart, but all your friends' marriages are falling apart. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. When you are choosing friends, choose a friend that makes you better. Look, here's all I'm telling you. If you want to have a marriage that is strong and successful, you know what I do? I start hanging around with people that have strong, successful marriages. You want to raise kids that are godly and love the Lord? You know what I start doing? I start hanging out with people that raise kids that love the Lord. If you want to have your finances in order, I start hanging out with people that got their finances in order. If you want to be thin, start hanging out with thin people. (laughs) I'm just telling you that you will be like the people you hang around with. If you want to be spiritual, hang out with spiritual people. You want to be sober, hang out with sober people. You will be like your friends. You want to see what, look, you teenagers, you want to see what you're going to end up like? Look at your friends. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You will be like your friends. Listen to me. You will be like your friends. Be around the people you want to be like because you will be like the people you are around. You will be like your friends. So make good friends. You will be like your friends. So make sure you've got friends that are encouraging you, that are helping you, that are motivating you. They're not making you worse, but they're making you better because you will be like your friends. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts 2.41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly. And the apostles' doctrine is talking about church life. And fellowship, and in breaking of bread, 
and in prayers. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? So you get good Bible preaching? Yeah, well, that's a good reason. But he also says this. Uh, he says exhorting one another. Look, let me explain to you, because people say this to me all the time. In our church and churches like ours, they'll say, well, I can get the same Bible preaching just watching online. I can just watch online and get the same biblical preaching. That's true. But you know what you can't get online? You know what you can't get on the Facebook live stream? You know what you can't get on the YouTube live stream? It's developing friendships. There's some things that I got 7,942 friends on Facebook. Okay. Whatever. Whatever that means. Your friends on Facebook, you never met. You're not even sure if that's their real picture. They're going to pray for you when your kid's in the hospital. They're, they're, they're going to visit you when you're having health problems. They're, they're, they're going to pray for you when your marriage is struggling. Look, we were made for community. We were made for relationships. God, God did not institute God did not institute Facebook groups. He instituted local New Testament churches where physically people go and gather. And yes, they listen to preaching, but that's only a small aspect of what we do here. You know what else they do? They show up to the married couple's sweetheart banquet on Friday night. You know what else they do? They show up to the men's preaching and pizza night. You know what else they do? They show up to the homeschool activities and the homeschool field trips and they show up to the baby showers and they show up to the ladies' tea and they show up to the ladies' Christmas party. I'm just telling you that fellowship is a big part of your spiritual growth. And you would do well to surround your social life, not around little leagues, not around bowling leagues, not around social media. You would do well to surround your social life around God's people and God's word and the house of God. Because you will be like the people you surround yourself with. And some of you are living your life in a way that's very destructive, but it's because you are around people that are destructive. They're not bad people. They're just not godly. They're not bad people. They're just not spiritual. They're just not, they're not godly. Look, iron sharpeneth iron. So when we talk about separation, peculiar in our relationships, what are we talking about? Well, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers in marriage. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers in your extended family. And I'm not saying you need to cut out your extended family. Look, if they're reprobates, if they're haters of God, if they're hostile towards you, if they're trying to hurt your family spiritually, then yeah, you need to cut them out. If they're just neutral, they're just worldly people, love them, pray for them, be as involved as possible where you can be. Take strong stands, but do it tactfully and kindly. Take strong stands, but do it gracefully. But don't try to burn your relationship with your family. You're the best, you're the best hope for their salvation. And when it comes to friends, when it comes to friends, develop friendships with spiritual people who love God's word, who love God and his word and the work of God, because you will be like the people you surround yourself with. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these biblical principles. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be peculiar in our 
relationships and Lord I pray that you would 